Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, joining you today with Dave Clark and Mickey Turner. How are you doing, guys? It's a great Monday. Yeah, can't complain. Fantastic weather, Sounders win. Good stuff. Yeah, so let's get into that. Sounders open their season with, I, I don't know if the result itself was hugely surprising. I, I know, I, I think the Sounders were the favored team, but the way they won, I think, was surprising. 4-0 over Minnesota United, a team that a lot of people think are going to be contenders in the Western Conference this year. A team who nearly beat the Sounders last, uh, when was it? I guess last November. Uh, and who, you know, were basically 15 minutes away from going to MLS Cup last year. A team who, I don't know if they got better in the offseason, but certainly didn't get much worse. Uh, the Sounders, meanwhile, were without Nico Ladero. They were without Jordan Morris. And of course, uh, you know, they were also missing Gustav Svensson, Kelvin Leardham. It was, it was not, I don't know that we were expecting this from the Sounders. Uh, overall, what did you think, Dave? Was this, was this a surprising performance for me? I, yeah, to me, it was an announcement to the league that um, for all these changes and everything, the Seattle Sounders are still the, the potent team that they've been in the, uh, the Lagerwish-Metzer era. Uh, it was a kind of a signal that said here, here at Lumen Field, uh, we do what we want. And it, it was impressive. It was also another reminder that Brian Schmetzer's uh, a halftime wizard for, you know, you've done so many, so many stories about his second half performances. And we had another one, which is slight adjustments as to how that, that three man uh, midfield triangle would work out. And all of a sudden uh, the team went from stagnant to uh, a dynamic force. Mickey, what was your most, what was the most surprising part of that game to you? Uh, as you talk about a little bit uh, from a macro view, I'm not sure what I expected going into the game uh, with the Sounders missing Ladero. I kind of put Jordan Morris to the side because he wasn't supposed to be there for this game anyway. So uh, setting him aside, not having Ladero, it was definitely the midfield that was uh, and how they were going to cope without having Nico there. Uh, and they looked, you know, even in the first half, uh, they looked okay. Um, they look, you know, I wouldn't say competent necessarily, but, you know, they weren't really threatened at any point uh, by Minnesota. Um, and then as Dave talked about, you know, making the uh, second half adjustments, uh, I think Roldan played a little, little bit deeper, um, got a little bit more involved. And they just, once they got the first goal, uh, it was really off to the races. Um, you know, the Sounders have had Minnesota's number since the they least. came into the league. They haven't <laughs> lost to them. Uh, so, and, you know, I don't know if I agree that Minnesota got particularly better 
Um, they did lose Molino. Um, did, and that yeah. was a big loss. He was just fantastic for them last year. And so I'm, I'm not as convinced as maybe some others were about Minnesota. Uh, but for the Sounders part, they they showed you why they're the defending Western Conference champions. Um, and, you know, I, I think I was pleasantly surprised, certainly with how the mid, midfield performed. Um, and we'll obviously talk about Atencio um, in particular, I'm sure. But I think it was just a pleasant uh, – it was a little bit surprising how well they were able to come together in the second half and really blitz uh, Minnesota at that point. Yeah, let's get into the mid- midfield right now. I mean, I think that was probably the area that there was the most question for a variety of reasons, uh, not the least of which was Ladero being out, which I think we all expected. We, I don't think any of us were surprised that he wasn't in the starting lineup when it was announced. I know Schmetzer has been insisting that it's a day-to-day issue, but as soon as we found out about the injury, we were also hearing that it could be a three- or four-week kind of situation, and it seemed like rushing him to get to – this game was never really in the cards, understandably. Uh, that said, the the way the Sounders adapted to that, which I thought was interesting, when they put out the lineup, I kind of figured it would be kind of two eights and a six, meaning uh, Josh Atencio would sit deep and Jao Paulo and Christian Roldan would kind of rotate as uh, attacking pieces. But really, it did end up playing, at least by lines, like Roldan was still clearly a line ahead of Atencio and Jao Paulo and Jao Paulo did more attacking than Atencio, but Atencio wasn't just sitting in front of the center backs either. He was getting up. I actually thought it was, you know, one of the things that was interesting, I kind of dug into the passing numbers a little bit. And I don't know that you, if you just look at the passing and defensive numbers, I'm not sure you could really pick out the difference between Jao Paulo and Josh Atencio. They both had a relatively high volume of passes. They both completed a, a reasonably high number of passes. More interestingly, they both attempted a medium length uh, of pass similarly. Uh, they both attempted a similar number of long balls. Actually, Atencio completed more long balls than Xiao Paulo did. Uh, they were both active defensively. They, uh, they both were pretty progressive in their passing by a deep-lying midfielder standard. Uh, you know, I thought Josh Atencio, if we're going to pick one player who surprised me the most, it has to be Josh Atencio. Here's a 19-year-old who, unless you are – Dave, who has seen him play dozens of times with a defiance, I don't know that many Sounders fans have seen him play more than a few minutes at a time. Uh, he just had, he only played 19 minutes his rookie year. Uh, I know the people in the organization have talked him up. I know he's kind of been on the, the, the outskirts of uh, national youth national team picture. But man, he he didn't just look competent. He looked he looked good. He he you know the way the way I put it, he did a very impressive Gustav Svensson impression. I thought. Yeah, I think it's notable. He made the uh, bench for the MLS Team of the Week, and and you know, for a guy to do that on a Friday night when most of the people who pay attention to soccer might not be as uh, tuned in as they are, say Saturday afternoon with the the Fox and then the ABCs and all that. He he did it in a night game that was out here on the West coast and he still got the national recognition, uh, which was significant. And for all the grief that Seattle gets for not playing the kids as they win trophies, here's another kid starts out first ever start makes the, uh, makes bench team of the week is one of what I think there's a total of five, six midfielders named between the, uh, the 11 and the bench. Um, And he did that without a goal and somehow without getting an assist, on that beautiful switch 
Yeah, that, beautiful twist like, that set up the that set up the Freddie Montero goal. Yeah, it was it was extraordinary. And any other year, that's a that's a secondary assist. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a result of MLS changing their criteria. Like I think they may be tightening up their criteria of like directly leading to a goal scoring opportunity type of wording but either way it was a great it was a great pass and I thought it was indicative of the kind of passes that he was looking for I mean it wasn't under pressure but he found a progressive pass on the opposite side of the field sets Alex Roldan up perfectly to put in a a really great cross and in an even better finish yeah I was I was definitely surprised with his performance uh as you say unless you're Dave uh, we haven't seen him play much of anything uh coming into the year um and the minutes he got last year were just obviously mop-up minutes uh, at the end of games um and so what I what I was struck by was that uh number one he didn't look out of place uh you know we had a you know a bad you know pat pass or touch here and there but yes it wasn't perfect two or two or three of those right um and then going forward i I liked what i saw from him he had that one long drive uh down the field uh his body is obviously mls ready he's able to shake off tackles and kind of body up people he's obviously a physically imposing uh player from from that position that he's playing um and so i'm i'm going to be interested to see uh, you know what he can do maybe offensively and you know, the only difference, obviously, between him and Jao Paulo in that game necessarily was obviously the banger that uh, Jao Paulo yeah. <laughs> uh, put in. Atensu obviously didn't have anything nearly uh, any attempts or anything nearly that spectacular. Uh, but if he can, you know, maybe chip in uh, with a couple of goals, uh, that would really make for an interesting player. Uh, yeah, as the Sounders uh, progress this season, uh, and so I'm yeah, I'm interested to see what he can maybe contribute offensively and uh, just you know, to see what his growing pains are, if any, uh, because all young players uh, have them typically, unless you're a prodigy. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to be looking to see, but it was obviously a very impressive uh, performance. I don't know if I would have put him in team of the week on the bench. Uh, ahead of say, I like, think Roldan. Christian Roldan may have belonged there over him. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Aside from that, but you know, that, again, you're kind of nitpicking, uh, you know, uh, awards and, uh, you know, stuff like that so I'm not really overly uh, concerned about that I'm more concerned about how he progresses throughout the year I think so it's I, kind of interesting that in the before times the organization was like we don't really know if he's a center back or defensive mid right and and I, I think he answered that yeah and clearly so yeah um I, I, his performance indicated that he can be a defensive mid because you don't want your center backs to make 70 yard runs with the ball at their feet um <laughs> Which you know, that's part of it. But and he put up over the 13 months since I last saw him on the field, uh, he's put on a little bit of height and and some some upper body strength as well. Uh, It's interesting to think, you know, 13 months ago, he was uh, barely 18 (laughs) and now he's still just 19. So one of the things to remember with these uh, these youngsters is we're going to see with Danny Leva. Um, Reed Baker Whiting as well is uh, what they look like when you re- last saw them at Cheney Stadium as a full-time starter is not what they are now because we essentially went a year um, all of us went essentially a year without seeing these players in, in front of us and next to MLS quality and size players so several of them are uh, are not the little minis <laughs> that they used to be like they're they, they, they're built like men now yeah, and one of the, one of the speaking of which, I, I think one of the interesting things about Atencio in this game is it wasn't like 
they were matched up against a bad team with no midfielders. Uh, most notably, Atencio found himself in duels with Emmanuel Reynoso on a on a few occasions, and he got the better of him as much as he like. I don't remember one time where maybe he got beat once, but he he won a bunch of those tackles, and he wasn't afraid to get into them. He was looking for the ball. He was looking to be involved. He, you know, I think that that and that shows a lot to me. It's like. And like, I, I think of one play in the first half where he was driving forward and he, he was looking for Rui Diaz and he, and he didn't make the pass. Like he, he attempted the pass, but he didn't complete the pass. And, but to me, the fact that he attempted that pass was almost as valuable as if he had completed it because it shows that he's seeing the ball where we want him to be going with it. It's showing that he's willing to be aggressive. He's not just looking for the layoff. He's just not looking for square balls. Anyone who came away from that game thinking that Atencio racked up a, a high percentage of passing by playing a bunch of square balls, I don't think was really paying too close attention. The numbers bear that out. I watched the game a second time. I actually think he was better on my second viewing because my first viewing, I think like a lot of people, I was viewing it through the eyes of, I don't know what to expect from him. And so anything he does positive is going to seem good, right? You're good yeah. because I'm expecting him to not do well. I I'm like the moments of brilliance really stand out. But when you watch it a second time, you, you kind of have this expectation of like, Oh, I'm going to like what I see. And I liked it even more the second time, which was all good. I, I think what's, what's interesting now is where that leaves the midfield, because in a lot of ways, I like the way that this three-man midfield plays, especially when you have two forwards. Now, I don't think, like in the past when we've seen Roldan play as a as a 10, it's been mostly with just one forward in front of him. And I don't and I don't think that works. Other than the, the one performance he had against San Jose a couple years ago where he almost scored a hat trick, he hasn't really looked comfortable playing as a 10 because he's not comfortable taking the ball 60, 70 times in an advanced position like that. He's not Nico Ladero. He doesn't need to be Nico Ladero. But in this game, you know, I, I thought Matt Doyle put it really eloquently. He called him a central winger who basically was just making a lot of runs out of central midfield more than he was carrying the ball out of midfield. And I thought that was a really astute observation. And I think it, it played really well with two forwards because it allowed Rui Diaz to come back and get the ball. It allowed Will Bruin at times to come back and get the ball. Uh, and when Freddie Montero came in, it was a whole different look. The Sounders essentially switched to like a Christmas tree formation, essentially with, with two kind of like tens ostensibly first. It was, uh, I guess it was Kellen Rowe was Kellen playing. Rowe. Kellen Rowe was playing in a line with them. And then Ethan Dobolari came in and, and played in that line with them. But I, I, I really like that potential of that three man midfield where you have a, a, a Zhao Paolo who still has that moment of brilliance, who's obviously willing to still get stuck in and make those tackles. And then you have one player like Atencio, who's maybe being a little bit more, you know, he doesn't need to make the big tackle necessarily. And you have Christian Roland just running all over the place. But what do you guys think of that? Like, at, obviously Ladero comes in, he starts, Atencio has to move out of the lineup. But I don't know, where where does that leave that midfield for you guys? What does Atencio's ascension do in the way that you view the way that they can play? Well, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, I, I was I was trying to think about what they do. I mean, as you say, when Ladero comes back, Atencio's going to the bench. Um, but that right. still leaves them, you know, some options um 
to rotate uh, Atencio with Jao Paulo. Um, you know, Roldan almost never sits. Uh, he's always he's always on the field. So unless he's gone for international duty, um, he's certainly going to be on the field. I just um, I, I liked what I saw um, from that three man midfield, and I think they all play their parts well. So. Uh, you know, when Ladero comes back in, uh, you know, it's obviously going to be Ladero, uh, Joe Paolo and Christian um, kind of in that in that spine, in that middle. Um, and so I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, Atencio and Ladero and, and Roldan just kind of have different skill sets and basically trying to optimize what they do when one of them is not on the field and the other one is. Um, but it's a good question. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. That that's yeah. that's his job, obviously. Um, but it's 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 a good problem to have, and I think I, I I don't know. It's a good question. One of the fun things about what will be the starting midfield is that they're all high motor guys. Like yes. Nico finishes every year as number one in, in ground traveled. Christian's right around fifth, and I think uh, Jao Paulo for the league levels like in that 12 to 15 range. Like they're a buzzsaw. And what you can do that's really fun, since um, none of them, I mean, Zhao Paulo gets subbed off, but the other two never really get even late subs, even when you're up five goals. Um, but what Schmetzer can do is pull one of those forwards when you're sitting on a two-goal lead and turn that three-man buzzsaw into a four-man buzzsaw now with a, a defensive stalwart like Atencio. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got all four of those just clogging up the middle. Um and people are forced to cross against uh, the center backs who, you know, for a lot of people might've doubted Shane O'Neill, but for some reason, Adrian Heath didn't decided to test new who and Atencio rather than Shane. But if you're going to dump crosses in against uh, at least two of Ariaga, Yamar and Shane, um, not a lot of teams are going to win, win that crossing battle. And you're not going to be able to push it up the middle against a, a late, run with the with four buzz sides going so you bring up new who's performance in this one i think that was probably the other obvious candidate for big surprise of this game is new who's performance and i don't think a lot of us knew what to expect from that again we haven't been able to see a lot of preseason so we knew that uh, that new who was being tried out at center back but i don't think any of us had really seen him extensively like we saw some of the game against san diego but we we didn't get to see him day in and day out and I think the big question was could Nuhu retain the things that make him Nuhu without uh while while kind of like pulling back on the things that make you want to pull your hair out the things like the runs wildly up the field not necessarily the most refined player on the offensive end can he but and I think we actually saw that we saw that in this game where he really stayed positionally sound. I thought, I mean, he did a lot of the new who things he had overhead clearances. He had, and I, I don't know. I had this conversation in the press box. I'm going to say it here again. He is an elite player when it comes to guiding the ball out of bounds. And that sounds like a silly thing, right? To say you're elite at, but as a center back, that's a super useful tool to be able to every, I mean, every ball in the box, he wins when he's got his back to the, to the offensive player. And there's not a lot of players who like every single time they put their back into an offensive player, they're going to win that ball. And he does it every single time. I mean, there's no one I would rather see guiding a ball out of bounds than knew who, and he does it with such uh, elite ability. And I can see how just that, even that one little skill set makes him 
a, a tantalizing pick as center back, but I just thought he did everything you could have possibly wanted uh, as the new who left center back experiment goes. Yeah, I, I t- totally agree. I think they, I don't, I wouldn't say they stumbled on the solution to the new who issue, but they appear to have found the, uh, found yeah. the solution. A, you know, a new who he's not as young a player. He's still pretty young, but I think they may have decided that him going, you know, his offensive uh, potential is about where it's at right now. I mean, we're all obviously looking for the, him to score the spectacular goal to see the celebration and what have you, but you know, just him as a consistent offensive contributor from, from the left back position may just not be in the cards at this point. And so given his elite defensive abilities, center back seems to make a lot of sense. And so the question is whether he could convert there and retain, as you say, what he does great defensively. Um, And then you've obviously mitigated his major flaw as a player, which is his, him going forward and providing crossing um, from wide positions. And he was probably the man of the match in the first half uh, and cleaned up pretty much every mess that, uh, that the Sounders uh, had, you know, saw themselves looking at. And so based on that performance, you have to say that it was nothing more than a resounding success. Um, And if they've, if they're able to, you know, truly convert him to a, uh, center back in a three man uh, back line or even two man back line, I, I suppose, uh, then, you know, you've got yourself a really fantastic player. Um, and it's, it's, you know, appears to have been a success on all fronts because he was fantastic in that game. Yeah. And I was so impressed with what he did, his interception, like his interception number, I want to say was a 10, <laughs> like doing, doing stuff like Chad Marshall would do uh, reading those, those passes quite well. And as Jeremiah brought up that he was so good at shielding, shielding the ball and just get getting those goal kicks or those throw-ins. And that's kind of interesting that he's essentially the shortest starting center back and smallest starting center back in the league this year, because AJ De La Garza is uh, coming off the bench and and might be a fullback most of the time. Uh, You don't normally see new who size players as center backs. And so it's interesting to see him basically do what Chad Marshall did except do it in a frame that's about six inches shorter and 60 pounds lighter. Um, and yet the quality forwards, like quality wing, Minnesota is a good team. Most people have them as kind of that first tier in the West up there with Portland, LAFC and Seattle. One of those four are the ones that are going to pop into to first somehow. Uh, and against that attack, which was pretty good. Um, he was, a stalwart and it that's going to be great um he left center backs his and whoever starts in those other two spots is going to be up to brian <laughs> yeah it's an, one is on lock right that, and if you were coming into this year telling me that the one center back position that's on lock is new who i would have thought you were crazy and and that is kind of you know we'll see where this where we are in a few weeks but like after week one i think he's probably the center back you'd have the hardest time taking out of the the lineup because he was the best center back out there. I didn't think Ariaga was bad as a, as a central center back. I was actually a little disappointed that we didn't see him kind of flexing his passing muscles a little bit more. That was the thing that I have always been super high on about Ariaga is that he's such a good passer out of the back. And he didn't really, he didn't really attempt that many, uh, you know, like Ariaga esque line skipping passes that, that, 
I kind of have fallen in love with his style of play with, but he was sound defensively. You know, he got one yellow card, uh, but he didn't, he didn't have a ton of fouls. Shane O'Neill, I thought was solid, uh, but this does bring up an interesting conundrum. And it was probably the talking point after the match in kind of a perverse way was uh, Jamar Gomez Andrade was the Sounders best center back by a pretty wide distance. I think last year uh, he was a dark horse candidate for defensive player of the year he didn't start the San Diego game. He didn't start the Portland game uh, before that. He didn't start this game. And when asked about it, Brian Schmetzer was a little, had kind of a weird answer. And I don't, like, I know there's a lot of speculation about this being kind of disciplinary issue and, and all these, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, I, I do think it was probably just a coach's decision, but where do you guys, what do you guys make of this Jamar situation? I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him start the next game, by the way, but I mean, what, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, we, you know, without having had the benefit of watching training during the, during the preseason, it's very difficult to say if it's a fitness issue right. um, or a true coach's decision. But as you pointed out, he didn't start uh, the San Diego game. He was in the, uh, in that earlier game with uh, mostly Academy and defiance and Sounders death players. Um, I haven't seen anything that suggests that he's out of form or anything like that. Uh, again, limited, though our observations have been um, and we don't have any indication that it's a, uh, a, a disciplinary issue. Uh, so at this point, we're just kind of left to give uh, Schmetzer the benefit of the doubt, which he certainly deserves um, and just, uh, you know, go with that. It is just a coach's decision and that there's a lot of games this year. They're going to have to rotate um, uh, because Ariega will probably be off on international duty at, um, at some point. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, we don't have enough information at this point to say what is going on. As you say, he was very, uh, prickly after the press comp or during the press conference when he was asked about that, probably because he's been asked about it, uh, several times and he's tired of answering the same question, but yeah, there's, we don't have enough information at this point to say what the reason is. Um, but you know, it certainly, you know, it begs the question because he was, as you say, the best center back by a, a mile last year, uh, for the Sounders. I, I kind of sympathize a little bit with Brian. I totally understand why the question was asked, but, uh, at the same point, it, you had a four nil thrashing of Minnesota and to be like, well, what's going on with the center back? <laughs> a valid question, but also from the head coach's spot, it's like, really? Uh, he- I, I'm going to put a, you know, we've, we've got a goal of the year candidate. We've got a brace from another guy who bases the team of the week. We've got Alex Roldan um, with an extraordinary crossing rate for the game. And to have, that is a valid storyline. But when you look at all the other storylines, who the starting center back was might be like 12th. Um, and, and yet from a, from a coach's still, perspective, you're saying, yeah, like, yeah, I get it. Like, um, uh, so I kind of understand his frustration. And at the same point as somebody who's, who's asked uh, questions post game about lineup choices. And I, I think every time Siggy got asked about lineup choices and Brian gets, he's, unless it's obviously injury, they're like, you know, I, uh, I just made what I thought was the best choice. Kind of Like they don't, right. I, I, they're never happy to get those questions. Um, and it, so it, it, it adds some drama but I think uh, it, it, one of the things that uh, fans, as we look for these storylines to, to break down, one of the things we sometimes forget is it, it really didn't matter who started. 
like well we the the sounders shut out effectively and um he didn't go at ariaga didn't go at shane o'neill his first half was go at josh atencio or go at Nuhu, and both of those were fails like that minnesota thought the soft didn't think the soft point was uh no jamar out there he right. thought the soft point was Nuhu and, and josh atencio and it turns out uh there was no soft point yeah and i and i can certainly I I, under, I take what you're saying, and I think it's a perfectly valid. Like I, I'm not surprised that Brian doesn't really want to talk about the lineup decision that worked out really well. Like I get it. Like he's he 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 was vindicated by the result. Like there's no, like there's not really an argument to be had. Like you can't really say after watching that game that Jamar should have started. Like there's just no way to make that valid argument, right? Uh, but. I think a lot of people understandably want to know what's going on. And I don't think he did anything to quiet <laughs> other than the result standing for what it is. Right. He didn't do anything to like quiet speculation that something else is going on there. Now, the funny thing I think is that a lot of fans would say, well, he should be starting over Shane O'Neill, or maybe he should be starting over. Uh, may- maybe Shane O'Neill should go over to the left and he should be starting over new who, uh, but the reality I suspect is that he might actually start over Ariaga in the middle because they seem to like potentially him playing in the middle most, even though he did come in and play on the right side and O'Neill played in the middle when he, when he came into the game, but it's going to be interesting to see how that rotates. And maybe it is just, maybe it ends up being a four man rotation. And two months from now, we're like, Oh, remember when we were worried about the rotation in the lineup and it was just like a rotation. Uh, they've never really done that. It's always funny. And cause like, we always get this idea, like in theory, there's this, like a, you know, like a short, like a short stop rotation where it's like against righties, they, they use one guy and against lefties. They, that's not the way it usually works out in soccer. Yeah. Uh, um, Particularly at center back. <laughs> especially at center back. Exactly. Yeah. But who, I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where I feel like we have to talk about it, but I don't think we, and I think that's, what's frustrating is that there's not an obvious answer except except for the most obvious answer, which is Brian Schmetzer just decided that their best chance was like, this was the best lineup that he could put out there. And, and sometimes they, the truth is boring. Yeah. Sometimes it is. And and it's, you know, and that's what he gets paid the big bucks to do. Right. I mean, he got, he got, you know, he, he had to live with the decision to, to not start Svensson and Leardom in MLS cup. And he gets to live by the decision not to start Jamar in this game. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And you hope that more times than not, he gets it right, I guess is kind of what you, you know, this is not, uh, the, the fans don't get to pick the lineups as much as we would like to. It's going to be interesting to talk about rotation. Like this, the first few weeks, we get this normal week by week right. by week pace. But um, when we it's get into May, that's done. And yeah. Yeah. Um, six games in May. It, it, it's going to be interesting. That's when we'll actually see rotation. Yeah. Um, I just did the quick math. The quick math is there's going to be 102 starts if it's a three-man back line all the time. And so that's basically 25 per those four guys if they each start. I'm going to bet Jamar Gomez-Andrade is above that 25 mark by the end of the year. Who's below the 25 mark, you think? Ariaga probably just because he's going to miss a bunch of games. Ariaga for – yeah. Yeah. And I probably guess that's the idea to answer myself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, new – Assuming health, knew who about 30. Andrade, probably around 30. Ariaga, because of uh, the uh, international duty, call it 20. 
that's 20-ish for Shane. Right. And I, I think fans would be like, oh, okay, Shane O'Neill is their fourth best center back and they'll be they'll be fine. Yeah. So but that's the long-term view. Right now right. it's like, how right. in the world did that happen? <laughs> so the the one player who I think maybe we all agree did not live up to the expectation in this one was was probably Brad Smith. And I don't want to harp too like I don't want to get too deep into negativity on a game where the Sounders really looked well. And I haven't highlighted all the guys that did well, but we should talk a little bit about Brad Smith. A lot of people uh, pointed out that he picked, it looked like he might've picked up a little bit of an injury in warmups. Yeah. Maybe that affected him, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say my opinion. I, I thought that was probably the most disappointing that was in a, in a laundry list of, excellent performances brad smith stood out not just because he wasn't up to that standard but that he actually was maybe bad like like maybe not lose his starting job based on one performance bad but he missed a lot of passes that it felt like he should have been able to make he wasn't particularly effective at like he wasn't effective at all in the offensive third he got beat a couple times defensively i don't know what what do you guys make of brad smith in this one yeah i mean i well, this has been the question, um, you know, is he, is he someone who can play further up the field? Um, even though he's not, you know, an out and out winger, um, in the sound of formation, um, his responsibility is to pr- provide width and provide some crossing. Um, I thought his crossing was actually okay in this game. Yeah. Um, um, he probably had a, you know, a couple of them that should have been at least uh, shots on target that the Sounders weren't able to, uh, to capitalize on. But, uh, to your point, his, his, his passing from, you know, further back was was not good um he turned the ball over a lot um he got beat a few times um and so i i guess i remain unconvinced that that is a position that the sounders couldn't upgrade um they're not going to do that obviously before the summer is uh the summer gets here and so uh smith is, is certainly gonna you know get his chance to kind of redeem himself uh from this performance because as you say i didn't think it was very good uh but I'm not sure what other options they have at this point. Um, to Jimmy Madronda's uh, out injured still. So. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot else there at the moment, and that kind of remains the issue for the Sounders is is the wide play. I would say I don't think that that question has been answered uh, particularly. Uh, I think Alex Rodam was very good in the game. Yeah. Um, so you know maybe maybe on the right side things are, are looking a little uh, looking up a little bit more, but I think certainly on the left side it, you know they could stand to upgrade that position, um, and as you say I, you know he definitely struggled and maybe some of it had to do with the knock that he got, um, and I think Schmetzer referred to that in the post game presser as well that he he picked up a little something so uh, it, it, that's a to be determined uh, and certainly something that we should keep our eye out for because. Uh, they, they certainly, I don't think that question has been answered yet. One of my disappointments in Smith was that he wasn't as high as his teammates expected him to be frequently, not just his ability to run onto the ball, but there were a lot of time, a lot, maybe three times where I thought that uh, the midfield had the idea that they were going to spring him and he just couldn't get there. And it wasn't because he wasn't fast it's because they expected him to be almost as high as Christian and instead, he was playing more like a fullback. And so some of this may be just him reviewing the tape with the coaches over the next couple of days. And they're like, dude, don't worry. New who's got this. You don't need to help him. Sit six yards further up. 
And those three passes become you running at that angle to the elbow and then short balls. You don't have to worry about early crosses. And I think that him just a little bit higher is, is what they need. Cause we saw Alex played like Jeremiah showed passing maps uh, on, on Twitter. Alex was high up the field. He was a winger more so than a wingback. And I think for me, Smith's touch has felt more like he was a fullback than a wingback. And if I, if I get him five to 10 yards further up the field, I think that opens up the space that, that Seattle wants to use a little bit better. And that that's more familiarity than anything. Like we all know um, he's a better passer than knew who, but when he's really magical, it's with those early balls or dribbling through traffic Getting to create to those, the, yeah. you know, you want him at the end line um, rather than the touch line. You want him at the end line, just at the edge of the box passing, you know, back to the spot or at the top. And to me, he can do that if he starts higher. So I expect we'll actually see him just get those first touches a little bit higher up the field, uh, changes his, his dynamic quite a bit. Yeah, if you look at the passing map, I, I would recommend people go check out MLS Soccer. They messed up a lot of stuff on their website. One of the things that they <laughs> did improve was they put these passing maps uh, that show average position and, and connections and those kind of things. And you'll see a couple trends really jump out at you when you look at the Sounders map. One of them is, like you said, Alex rolled on much higher up the field than, than uh, Brad Smith. But also Shane O'Neill is almost even with Joe Paolo's uh, average position. And as a result, partly as a result, the whole right side is a much more like you can just see how much more attention they were giving to the right side of the attack. And and that's not what I would have guessed. I would have not guessed that Brad Smith was going to be the weak link, like the, the left side was going to be the weak link, especially because traditionally the Sounders have been so good coming off the left, uh, whether that was Victor Rodriguez or Jordan Morris and clearly Brad Smith is neither one of those players. He's not asked to be one of those players, but uh, it, it was, it was a little, I was a little surprised at the degree to which the the field tilted to the right in this game. Uh, Alex rolled on, like you said, very effective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we need Brad Smith needs to be getting higher up the pitch. He can't be playing as a fullback. I mean, he, I know that we've talked about this before, or I feel like we've talked about it before, but Brad Smith is not, he is not a winger. He is not someone that you want crashing the box. He is like, he's very good at a lot of things. One thing he's not good at is shoot is, is being goal dangerous. He is just yeah. not, a, that is not a strength of his. And we saw it again in this one. Uh, you know, he, he got set up actually for a pretty good volley attempt. And he, instead of trying to put his laces through it, he kind of tried to place it. and was ended up being easily saved. Um, I guess on the grand scheme, I'll take that over some of the other attacking movements that he's uh, he's attempted. But I don't know. That was also a flying volley. Um, The fact that he he took that and put it on frame. I'm happy with that. Like, that's not that's not a on a shot opportunity that many players put on frame. And that would have been very easy to put, you know. Yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Jimmy Madranda is one of it. The other player that we haven't talked about on the left side, but actually has played some left-sided attacking and defending for that matter is Kellen Rowe. Uh, and that's actually where he moved later in the game. Eventually when, when double <laughs> came in, he only, I mean, he played five or 10 minutes there. Uh, but he, he did move there after double air, came in. Um, and I, I don't I mean, I'm not saying like, let's make that change this week. But 
I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. I mean, Brad Smith can't play like this uh, for long and keep his starting spot, especially if they, the Sounders are sitting players like Freddie Montero or whoever else, like you, you gotta be able to get uh quality player. You're, quality You're saying player. Freddie Montero for uh left wing back. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to review uh, the Kellen Rowe positioning like by where he, because I think he played um, at least three, maybe four different roles I think you're right. in, yeah. in this game. And I think that perfectly encapsulates um, kind of what he is with in the organization right now. Yeah. He might get spot starters that are either wing back. And um, I don't, once upon a time, I thought defensive mid, but uh, now with Josh Atencio and maybe Danny Leva in the future, uh, maybe we don't see Kellen yeah, Rose a defensive mid, but I don't think out we'll wide. In this, yeah, I don't know that we'll see him in as a central midfielder as long as uh, with the group they have. I mean, they yeah. look like that actually might be their strongest position right now. Uh, but he can play everywhere. Um, and I think that's knowing that you have that kind of utility man on the bench lets you uh, have a a couple more specialists that you can put in guys like Freddie Montero or Will Bruin when it's his turn. Um, if you have a utility guy or two utility guys, when Madronda's on the bench, it really opens up opportunities for an Ethan double air to come in and just be like, Ethan, this is all you need to focus on. All you're going to do is guide the ball and try to slip them in. And that's yeah. it. And that's really simplifies things for these, the young kids, as we know, there, there are a couple of them around still, and maybe these future signings that are also young when they get on the field, thanks to guys like Kellen Rowe, uh, Jimmy Madronda, their, their role is going to be as simple as possible. And, and that helps them in training. Yeah. Well, one more player that will, and we can't, like, I don't want to just go through a laundry list of players, but I, I do feel like we should at least mention Freddie Montero uh, and the return uh, return of the King. We'll, we'll just call that. Uh, he, he wasted little time in reclaiming the the lone spot atop the sounders all-time mls scoring list uh perfectly volleys an alex roldan shot in i the more impressive moment to me was the secondary assist he had on the second or third second goal. Diaz goal yeah yeah uh just perfectly weighted the way it falls at christian roldan's feet the way christian's first touch is such a beautiful like i could watch that play on replay constantly but uh i don't know i'm now i'm wondering if freddie montero's best role might be coming off the bench and just doing that stuff like just give us 15 good minutes we don't need you to do 90 of that but i don't know what do you what do you think of freddie montero uh well obviously he was he was he was great um in this in this in the time that he got um and he looked good all preseason um and to be fair, he had looked good mostly with Vancouver um, the past couple of years. He was productive, if not, you know, spectacular. Um, so I, I thought that he was going to provide a boost. And Jeremiah, you wrote a good piece on that he you know, he's likely to be very good for the Sounders this year. Um, and he wasted little time in coming out and uh, and proving you right. And yeah, it's he's going to be a fantastic uh, piece for the Sounders this year. They're going to need him especially when Rudy Diaz goes on international duty, um, uh, especially if they want to keep that two forward formation. Um, and, you know, he does, you know, he does everything just, he does everything well. Um, you may not be, you know, a, a top level player at, at any one thing, 
but he's just very good at doing a bunch of things. He's great, uh, very good with his feet. He can distribute the ball. Uh, he can uh, dribble out of uh, trouble, um, and he can obviously score. So uh, that's going to be a very good player uh, to have on this team. And you know, obviously, you know, the narrative of him coming back in his first uh, minutes with the Sounders since 2012 and scoring a goal is is a feel good moment. Uh, but uh, he certainly is going to have a uh, his role to play. Um, at this team, if they're to make another trip back to MLS Cup, and it's great to see him back, uh, you know, doing the things that we all remember him doing uh, before he left. To be, um, and it's just, it was just great to see a great moment for uh, for everyone. I think what's fun to to think about is with Will Bruin and Freddie Montero, you have two of the the league's top fifty all time scorers on the roster. One of them is going to be on the bench every game. Um, and then Raul Rui Diaz at some point this year or next year will also be in the top 50 MLS all-time scorers. So it's uh, the forward attack, and, and Jeremiah has written about this pretty extensively, uh, the forward attack, those three guys are as good as any set of forwards ever, even when you include Clint Dempsey or Jordan Morris um, as those kind of hybrid forwards that they they were while they were here. Um this is going to basically be kind of similar to that 2014 attack, except all coming from central spaces. It's going to be, uh, that's going to be fun. Um, both Siggy and, uh, and Schmetzer have tended to be defense first guys. And uh, this might be one of those years where uh, Seattle can run and gun, um, which they haven't done a whole lot of, but with quick ball movement in this case, rather than fleet fleet feet, uh, you're going to see Rui Diaz with his, you know, upper teens goal scoring. And then, I don't know, Freddie could get 10. Will Bruin with the late surge in his career, just because there's so many other options there, getting 10 wouldn't surprise me because his role's so simple. And when other teams are forced to think about Rui Diaz or when Will and, and Freddie are partnered, which we saw worked really effectively in preseason, or Nico Ladero pulls out a, a defensive mid, so Will's on his own. It's going to be a lot of fun to, to, to watch an attack that, again, Seattle hasn't always been a team to put up uh, goals in, in bunches. Uh, this is the year where that's a, a reasonable expectation. Yeah, it's it's it looks like it's going to be a very fun attacking team. At least the early returns suggest as much when they can get that they did all this without Ladero is yeah. like worth just kind of reminding ourselves of uh and and there's no reason to think that Ladero would do anything but enhance what we saw. Like he can play that style. Uh you know, it'll be interesting to see. Like I don't know that this team is going to have 65 70% of the possession that you know the, 70 they never had 70 percent. i don't know that they're going to dominate possession the way that they have sometimes in the past but i think they're going to create chances uh and it'll be interesting to see how they hold up defensively i I think it's a really intriguing team i'm excited to watch them Uh, lafc obviously has a big big test coming up this weekend it's on the road lafc looked good against austin fc uh but there's there's reason to be confident going into this game and and i'm i'm definitely looking forward to it yeah, it's going to be a good game. I expect there's going to be goals uh, because you know there are typically are in those uh, in the Sounders LAFC games. Um, there's a lot of attacking talent on the on the field on both sides, uh, both defenses. You know, LAFC has you know lost a bit on their defense uh, since they let uh, Zimmerman go. 
they weren't particularly great uh, defensively last year. Um, I'm not sure they've done a whole lot to rectify that. And the Sounders obviously are still, you know, working on a new formation. So uh, it's certainly going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, like I said, I expect a lot of goals uh, in that game. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Bob Bradley has become a, a coach or at least because of this, uh, these players he's become the guy that wants to win three, two or four, three. That's the, his style of game. And I think, with Seattle playing against a team that is willing to give up two or three goals in a game, Seattle is willing to score two and three goals in a game against them. So um, it should be fun. It's going to be an interesting to see the uh, another set of those defend defenders and, and whoever's playing in those dual sixes. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what they have to do against LAFC because Minnesota's attack is pretty good. LAFC's, uh, for the past two years has essentially been the best. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's probably a good place to call this a show. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, uh, celebrating a, a Sounders win. Uh, we'll, we'll try to make this a, a, a staple of post-game uh, conversation. Maybe we'll even try to work in a preview. I don't know. I don't know what the podcast is going to look like this year, but we're, we're figuring it out. I'm sure you'll be hearing plenty from Dave and Mickey and myself throughout the year. I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off and uh, we'll catch you next time.